Well, it's uh, good to be in the house of God tonight. Amen. Amen. If uh, you will take your Bibles, aren't you glad I didn't say the Sears and Roebuck catalog? uh, People are preaching from a lot of things these days. (laughs) I kind of like the Bible. What a great textbook. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to uh, read the first 15 verses. And then we'll turn over to Acts chapter 2. If you will, follow along with me uh, this evening. 2 Kings chapter 1. Starting with uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, And as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold you your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold you your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, And as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they stood, two stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. Before I be taken away from thee, and Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters. And said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? 
And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him. Now remember, they're standing at Jericho watching this. They said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Let's conclude our reading by turning to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We Assembly of God people ought to feel really comfortable in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Verse 15. Peter is taking his position as the preacher of Pentecost and listen to his words. Verse 15, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. We hadn't been awake long enough to get drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Could we lift our hands and thank God for His wonderful Word. Father, we thank You for the Word of God tonight. We thank You, Lord, for the promise of the Holy Spirit baptism. We thank You, Lord, for the power of God that gives us the ability to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, for the glory of God that fills the believer and allows us to have a down payment on heaven. God, we thank You for the glory of God in this room tonight. We ask Spirit of God, touch every heart and every life. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God will be so active that You will bring us under Your conviction, Your power, Your persuasion. God, if there is something in our lives that is not like Jesus, if there's something in us that is out of sorts with the will of God, if there's something in us this evening, Lord, that cries out for the ministry of the love of God, I pray this evening that You would touch every one of us around these altars, fill our lives with Your presence, Your glory, Change us from the inside out. Make us what you would have us be. And we give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. God bless you. I want to preach tonight on the subject, picking up the mantle. The prophecy of Joel that is repeated and preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost has several themes. Number one, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in the last days. Now, I don't want to take a long time in uh, trying to exegete that passage uh, found in Acts chapter 2, but you have to understand there are two things going on in the spirit realm, in the kingdom of God, at the same time. 
Number one, this is the dispensation of grace. God is dealing with hearts and lives, men and women, by unmerited favor. Something that has never happened before, but when the cross was instituted, God looks upon us not by our works. He doesn't judge us out of any other motivation than His unmerited favor, which is His great love and mercy. Aren't you glad for that tonight? And we live in that dispensation. People are saved by grace, not by works. But at the same time that we are saved by grace and living in a day of grace, there is this wonderful dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And it is going to usher in, at the end, the coming of Christ. You have to know that when Peter stands up and preaches, he... He connects the outpouring of the Holy Spirit not just with a one-time event. He says it's going to be connected with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a misunderstood term. A lot of people think it just refers to the very moment when Jesus comes back and, and stands upon the earth, defeats the Antichrist, establishes the Millennial Kingdom. That is, if you will, an event in the time frame of the day of the Lord. But if you understand the word of God, the day of the Lord is a dispensation. It is a time frame. It doesn't take place in one day or two days. It's a span of time when God is saving people by his grace as the Holy Spirit is being poured out, sweeping millions into the kingdom of God around the world. As the gospel is preached, as the church grows, as the ministry is afforded uh, that God gives us in the earth, people are being saved, people are being changed, the church is being built. And the day, the day when Jesus comes back and steps upon my Olivet and splits it asunder and then moves into Jerusalem, the holy city, Mount Zion, and he rules and reigns out of the throne of his father David, then we're talking about the end of a dispensation. But until that time, until that time, what Jesus did on the day of Pentecost by baptizing the 120 with the Holy Ghost is the same thing Jesus has done from that moment until now. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is available to everybody who is saved, born again, hungry and thirsty for God. We are living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. God is still filling people with the baptism in the Spirit. Number two... He will fill all people groups. This is not just for the Jews. It's not just for a certain select group of folks. It is for every born-again believer, every ethnicity, every race, every color of skin. I'm here to tell you geographical location the Holy Spirit wants to fill every believer. Number three, this visitation, to the chagrin of many people, is genderless. Amen, Walls. This is not just for men. This baptism in the Holy Spirit is for men and women. If you will notice, when Joel speaks and Peter repeats what Joel preached, he said, ladies are going to prophesy. 
The word prophesy not only means a spiritual gift that is unknown, knowledge that is unknown, or a word that is unknown until it's given by the Spirit, but it also means to preach, to speak, to declare the Word of God. And so this Holy Spirit outpouring is genderless. It's upon male and female, upon handmaid and handservant. The Assemblies of God recognized that in 1914. We've been granting credentials to women. You ladies ought to be shouting by now. You don't hear this very often from a pulpit. But I'm for you. My mama was a woman. I'm for you. I just want you to know Jesus will fill women and men and use both of them equally in the ministry and with an anointing of God's Spirit. Let's move on. Number four, it will continue until the coming of Christ. Number five, the Spirit's work... Come on, preach, Pastor. The Spirit's work will produce vital life changes in everyone Who is touched? I just want to tell you something. Paul was not mincing words when he said, Know you not that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. He said, Therefore, because you were bought with a price, you're not your own. Glorify God in your bodies and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. When we are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit... If you talk in tongues, I just want to tell you something, friend. It it bothers me to the core when I see people who claim to be spirit-filled and they're mad all the time. They're just angry. They're upset. They're unhappy. They're never glad. They'll get out of a prayer meeting. The first thing they'll do is they'll bite your head off. That's not the Holy Ghost. That's the flesh. You're full of yourself. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be kind and gentle and gracious and long-suffering and patient. Oh, preach! If we're going to talk about a manifestation of the Spirit, let's talk about a genuine manifestation of the Spirit. If Jesus lives in us, He's going to change us from the inside out. We won't just speak with tongues as a spiritual evidence of of the initial work of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to go around from that moment beginning to imitate the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. God will be stamping and forming His likeness and His image in your heart and in your life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Number six, the gospel will be preached everywhere. Aren't you glad God loves everybody? I grew up a little poor boy on the wrong side of the tracks in Camden, Arkansas, a little small paper mill town. And somebody was full enough of Jesus that they came and visited my house knocked on my door and told my family about Jesus. And when I was just a little bitty kid, because of that, I came to faith in Christ. I'll share with you a little bit more about my baptism in the Spirit in a moment. But because the gospel will be preached everywhere, Mike Glover is saved tonight. My family loves Jesus tonight. 
I'm on a different road than I could have been on because the gospel will be preached. And it will be preached because the Holy Spirit gives us power to carry the gospel and gives us a passion for people. Don't say you're full of the Holy Ghost if you don't love people. Don't even claim to be full of the Holy Ghost if you don't love people. The Holy Spirit will give you a love, a passion for the souls of people. We'll preach everywhere. And God will confirm the preaching with supernatural signs and wonders. I am praying intently and intensely that we will see a revival in America in the assemblies of God to where we are preaching a gospel that God will confirm with signs following. If we ever needed that ministry, we need it tonight. We need a display of the power of God in this generation. Now that six things that are obvious when the Holy Spirit is poured out and that is talked about by the Apostle Peter. But let me mention one more thing. And it's well illustrated tonight by my text found in 2 Kings. And that's where I want to stay at for a little while. This Pentecostal blessing is available to all generations and is to be passed on from generation to generation. May the Lord of the harvest allow the assemblies of God this purposeful passion to transfer to every generation. And I would imagine in this room tonight, there are at least four generations of peoples. That covers a pretty broad spectrum of ages. And God, if we are going to be successful as the assemblies in the days ahead, we are going, it is a must, it is a have to, we must get back to our Pentecostal roots, we must allow every generation to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, I never was so thrilled in all of my life. Uh, just uh, four years ago, I was asked to preach a camp meeting in South Mississippi. My daughter lives in South Mississippi in Ocean Springs around Biloxi Gulfport, and uh, we, we, we got to preach a camp meeting, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called Lucidale Mississippi, and it's a little community outside of Lucidale called Buzzard Roost. Does anybody know where Buzzard Roost is? It's a huge Pentecostal church that exists out in the middle of nowhere. And they have a wonderful camp meeting every year, and they, they uh, let me come and be their, their, their featured speaker for three nights. And of course, Papa got his two grandbabies to go with him. <laughs> they were my armor bearers. And uh, uh, my, my, my oldest granddaughter, uh, Bella, uh, was uh, nine years old at the time. And we, we preached, and, and she's grown up Assemblies of God. Her mom and dad are Assemblies of God. They're both baptized in the Holy Spirit. But Bella had never received the Holy Spirit as of yet. And that night, that first night, we preached on the Holy Ghost. And Bella came up. 
and we laid hands on her, and she spoke in the most beautiful tongue I've ever heard in my life. And my little nine-year-old granddaughter was baptized in the Holy Ghost, and I got to be there to see it. I got to hear her. I got to see her. And, that, and from that day until now, I asked her, I said, Belly, you still talk in tongues? She said, every day, Papa, every day, every day. She's 13 years old now. I'm telling you, we need every generation of our church to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Our little kids don't need to hear grandma and grandpa say, well, this is how it used to be. And I wish you could remember that. I want them to grow up saying, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. From generation to generation, we need a passion and a fervency to transfer to every generation this glorious Pentecostal experience that gives us power to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a plane going down over the Atlantic Ocean. The uh, pilot came over the intercom and said, Folks, I have bad news. If we don't lose a lot of weight just in the next few minutes, we're not going to make it. We're not going to be able to, to make it to our destination. And so about that time, an Englishman stood up and said, God save the queen, and he jumped out. And then that stirred the heart of a Frenchman. And the Frenchman hollered, Viva la France, and he jumped out. And about that time, that stirred two Republicans. And they stood up and said, remember the election of 1964, and they threw off four Democrats. <laughs> That's passion. That's fervency. we got to do something about what's going on. And I believe in the assemblies of God, in our churches, both small and large, in, in, in great cities and in small villages, we need in America a visitation of God's passion and the fervency of the Holy Spirit that will stir our hearts to preach again the mighty baptism in the Holy Ghost. Now tonight, let me, let me give you real quickly. Now my church will say, Pastor can't do anything quick. As quickly as possible. Let me give you six things real quick. I'm, I'm serious. I, I, we'll, we'll move on quickly. But I want you to get these things tonight. Number one, as we consider picking up the mantle, this anointing that has been left behind, by a previous generation. Let's consider this. As we support someone else's dream, God can make our dream come true. I say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Do you notice the supernatural connection between generations in this story, 2 Kings? And it has something to do with an anointing. It has something to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. Here is Elijah, the old prophet of God. And now there's an oncoming man to take his place. God is mentoring him. God is raising him up. His name is Elisha. Elisha has to leave family and friends behind. He has to leave his vocation behind. You remember? He burns the yoke that he farmed with, and his implements of farming, offered them to the Lord in sacrifice and walked away from it. Everybody nowadays in America wants to build their own little kingdom. 
even in the church, you see that prevalent all the time. I want to do my thing. I want to do it my way. I believe one of the obstacles to the power of God being demonstrated in our churches again is for us to become selfless. Which is a demand of the Holy Spirit. I weep and cry over a selfish world. We live in a world that needs to learn what the cross means again. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, do your own thing. That's not what you ought to preach because it's not in there. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself. Humble yourself. Pour yourself out like water before me. Humble yourself so that you can position yourself in selflessness where I can fill you with my Spirit. There's not enough room in our hearts and lives if we're sitting on the throne of our heart. If we are in control, there's not enough room for the Holy Spirit to have His way. Man, I'm preaching now. As we support someone else's dream, God can make our dream come true. You say, Pastor, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 through 8. Literally says, whatever good thing you do, God will do that for you. In one translation, it literally says it like this. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. That demands humility. Find yourself a pastor. Love him. Pray for him. Invest yourself in him. Serve him. And I want to tell you, when you do that, God is taking notice. And God is going to make sure that what you are making happen for that man and for that church, God is going to make happen for you. It takes humility, obedience, love, and selflessness. Selflessness. If we are able to support the work of God in someone else's ministry, then the day will come when God will bring that back into your life and into your ministry. Joseph had a dream. But Joseph's dream was put on the back burner for many years because he was willing to make somebody else's dream take place first. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? You just look at it. The butler, the baker, Potiphar's house, his brethren. He was always taking the back seat. But the day came when Pharaoh said, I've had a dream. And I need to know what it means. Come on now. Joseph could have said, I could care less. I've got a dream. Nobody cares about my dream. Are you listening to me? I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but God put this in my heart. If we can lose our selfishness and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'll serve. I'll, I'll make happen whatever you want me to do, Lord. I'll do it. Joseph was like that. 
And for many years, his vision, his dream was on the back burner. But then when God remembered all that Joseph had been through and all the dreams that he had supported, including Pharaoh's, guess what? Like that. Overnight. He's a prisoner in the, in the uh, pits and dungeons of Egypt. And overnight, he's promoted to be the prime minister of that great empire. Only the Pharaoh was above him. And as a result of that, God promoted him. And you remember, his dream was that his brethren would come and bow before him. Old Joseph, I, you're talking about selfless. When his brethren came and he revealed himself to them, they just knew he, was, he had cutthroat on his mind. He is going to kill every last one of us for what we did to him. But you know what Joseph said? You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. And he said, not only did you mean, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But God meant it so that I could save many people and my father's house. Friend, I want to tell you something. We are in a desperate famine in America. In our churches, we are so full of ourselves. We want our way. We want it this way. We want it our way. We want it like we want it. Listen, if you want that, you need to go to Burger King. The house of God is no place for that. It's God's way. Amen. And when we lose our selfishness and become selfless, and humble and obedient, God will begin to make our dreams come true. You see, the day came because Elisha served Elijah and made Elijah's dream come true. God made Elisha's dream come true. There is something about spiritual anointings that we need to revere and honor and get hooked up with. I've had the privilege... And I'm not saying this boastfully, okay, please. I don't talk about it a whole lot. But I have had the privilege of mentoring over 150 young people. Let me discount that by saying there was probably three or four or five somewhere in that arena that were over 50. But the rest of them were less than 30. So they're card-carrying Assembly of God preachers tonight. And they pastor churches and they're evangelists and they're missionaries around the world. And I got to pour into their life and train them personally in the churches that I've pastored. What a joy. What a joy. And God's already hooked me up with several here in our church here in Monticello. I, I'm just attracted to that. I'm drawn to that. I want to duplicate myself. I want somebody to come out from behind the scenes. I, I want somebody to follow me. I want, I, I want somebody to take my... One day I'm going to quit. One day I'm going to give up. One day my back's not going to let me do much anymore. And I want to have filled this earth with as many people who love Jesus just like I do, who are passionate about the things of Christ, who want to serve the Lord with all of their heart, and who are Pentecostal. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> 
If you'll make somebody else's dream happen, God will make your dream happen. Number two, steps are important. Everybody say that with me. Steps are important. Come on, say it again. Oh, that sounded good. Destiny is the result of completed steps. Ask the man who ate an elephant how he did it. One bite at a time. One step at a time. How do you get to where God wants you to get? How did Elijah get to Jordan? One step at a time. How do we attain, attain God's favor? How do we attain an anointing? We move in a progression. As 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, From glory to glory, so is by the Spirit of the Lord. Some of you are looking at me like a calf staring at a new gate. You're just puzzled. I know I'm handsome and I can't help it. No, that's not what you're thinking. Elijah asked Elisha, you remember? I'm going to Bethel. Stop, don't follow me. Don't go with me. As my soul liveth, Master, I will not cease from following after you. That had been an opportunity for a lot of people to abandon ship right there. I know some folks, I've pastored them. They'd leave in a split second. Oh, Pastor, you going to let us off from Bethel? Absolutely. You don't have to go. Oh, Elijah says, no, something's going to happen. It may happen at Bethel. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. He went on to Bethel. And then, and, and then from Bethel, he goes to Gilgal. And Elijah says, don't go. Stop. You don't have to go. Leave me. Elisha says, no, masters, my soul lives. I'm not leaving because it may be at Gilgal that God shows up. I want to be there when you're taken up. He moves from there to Jericho. Same thing. You don't have to go. Stop. Leave. Leave. Leave if you want to. Don't follow me. No, master, as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And then he goes to Jordan. You see, Bethel means the gateway to heaven. That's a type of salvation. And then Gilgal, God has rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's sanctification and discipleship. He goes to Jericho. That's the overcoming life and the type of spiritual warfare and victory that God wants us to have. And then he goes to Jordan, which is ultimately the crossing over place to eternity. But it becomes the beginning place of an anointing for the oncoming generation. As one leaves and receives their reward, the other takes up the mantle and receives an anointing of power to continue the work. And we've got to decide that we're not going to leave. We're not going to stop. We're not going to prevent ourselves from receiving our blessing. So get in the process. Steps are important because destiny is the result of completed steps. If you were to talk to Joseph, he would tell you the pit was worth everything. He would tell you that Potiphar's house and the accused uh, sexual misconduct that Potiphar's wife accused him of was well worth it. 
He would say that prison and the betrayal of those that he had talked to in prison and made promises, uh, had got promises from, was well worth it. When he got to the palace and he fulfilled his purpose, years after God had given him his dream, he would say to you, every step of the way, every step I took was well worth what I had to invest in it. That's where we need to get tonight. Number three, don't let man define your blessing. Uh, our sweet sister a while ago told us about her blessing in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She grew up in the Baptist church. I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist church. I grew up in a very dignified Southern Baptist church. This is back in the 60s and 70s, early 70s. I was called to preach in the Baptist church when I was 14. I was going to be ordained the year I turned 18. I, they were already planning my ordination. And then I started dating a little Pentecostal girl. And my grandmother had always told me that stay away from those Pentecostal people. They're crazy. They're nuts. They, they swing from chandeliers. You know, in all my years, I've seen some strange things, but Brandon, I've never seen anybody swing from a chandelier. Matter of fact, most of our churches never had chandeliers. We needed lights. Oh, please, come on. Yeah, I started dating. Uh, she, she's a missionary now in China, has been for 36 years. She and her husband were all best friends. And uh, the reason I'm married to Phyllis is because Phyllis was her best friend. And God got us all hooked up together there in that, that church. And, uh, you know, you just don't need to let somebody else define your blessing. <laughs> don't stop pursuing God ever. Because even when you think you've received the fullness of what God wants to do, there's something more. There's something more. I, I, could, have let, I could have let my grandmother define my blessing and say, I'm going to be a Baptist preacher and I love Jesus and I love to witness to people and, and uh, win souls. And, and I, I could have stopped there. But no, I... I I, I pursued it a little further, and, and because of that, God took me to another level. And, and I, I don't know about you, but, but uh, I, I, I started attending Cullendale Assembly of God there in Camden, Arkansas. It's, it's uh, right, just right down South Street where our building was down from the paper mill. And uh, it, it was at the time, 1972 is when I... March of 1972 is when I received the Holy Ghost. And uh, I was 17. Matter of fact, I was 17 years old. I turned 17. I started attending the church when I was 16. And then I turned 17 while I was there in March. And the very end of March, I received the Holy Ghost baptism. And that church was on fire. I, I, I just want to say this to you. We... It's time for you and I to decide that we are Pentecostal and we're not going to be anything but Pentecostals. Uh, when, when God 
filled me with the Holy Spirit, uh, it was like I caught it. It was like it was contagious. It, it was like uh, th- those people were so on fire. They, they were so full of the Holy Ghost. The, the old, old Sister Clemens, she said over, right over here, uh, just almost where uh, uh, the, the Joneses are sitting tonight, uh, just one pew in front of them. And, and I never will forget her. She had white hair. It was in a, and it was a beehive it, 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 full of bobby pins. It was a death trap. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about in just a minute. And I'm telling you, it, it, it didn't matter the minute the music started. And, and we had a Hammond organ. And, 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 and man, they, that, that organist, she could play it. And, and, and it was get down, I'm telling you. And, and we'd sing those old hymns. Victory in Jesus was probably her favorite one. And when they sing Victory in Jesus, just look out. Because Sister Clemens, she was in her 80s. But she'd, she'd get out from the pew and she'd just begin to dance all the way across the front of the building. Now, people do that nowadays. They're nuts. They're crazy. We get big-eyed. We get all broke out in hives. What in the world is going on? Friend, I'm telling you, the church I pastor, if you do that, I'm going to get right behind you and say, God, God, do it again! Do it again! It might embarrass the fire of you, but that's what's wrong with you. You need to be embarrassed. You're too full of yourself. Sister Clemens would dance all over the front of the building, those bobby pins. She'd start shaking that head in those bobby pins. They'd just pop and fly all through the air. Her hair, it was down below her rear ends. It, she was long. But she loved Jesus. She'd dance before God, 80-something years old, and she'd dance for 30 minutes in the Spirit before the Lord. You can't do that unless it's the Holy Ghost. We need to see that again in our churches. You say, Pastor, you're for emotion. Yeah, I am. I'll just tell you I am. I'm for makeup, too. <laughs> I've seen women without makeup, and I like them a whole lot better with it on. I... <laughs> you know, just my opinion. And, and I, I, I never will forget, Carl Tillery was preaching revival. He would take the... the First Assembly Church in Camden just, uh, just a few weeks after that. And uh, he was preaching on the Holy Ghost that night. And I, I'm a little Baptist kid. And I mean, folks, they're dancing, they're raising their hands, they're shouting, they're, 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 they're spirit manifestations every which way. And, 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 and I'm a little Baptist kid. And, and I'm thinking, oh, God, my grandma was right. These folks. <laughs> These folks are messed up. They tore up from the floor up. I'm telling you, they're messed up. And, but you know what happened? You know what happened? I sat in that influence. I sat in that atmosphere. And I caught something. I, I, le- I left there that night, Brother Bells. I left there that night. And I said, they've got something I don't have. They have something I don't have. And I want it. And from that day until I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I don't care if Pastor Tullis 
I'd go to my church on Sunday morning and, and then on Sunday night. I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait till the doors opened. And, and I, I was going to that Assembly of God church because I was going to get the baptism. I didn't know the doctrine. I didn't know anything about it, but I was going to get the baptism. Don't let people define your blessing. Don't tell somebody you need to be this or you need to be that. Let God bring you into the fullness of what He wants to do in your life. Don't limit God. I, 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 Pastor told us he'd preach, he'd preach on marriage trouble. I'd go to the altar and seek for the Holy Ghost. I'd been saved since I was six years old. Every time he'd give an altar call for salvation, I'd be down there praying for the Holy Ghost. If people to be prayed for for healing, I'd go down and pray for the Holy Ghost. They knew I wanted the Holy Ghost. I, I never will forget the night. They don't do it like this anymore. You don't have to do it a certain way. There's not any certain way to do it. But I tell you what, it was right for me. I needed it. I went down to the altar that night, and my, my future father-in-law, I didn't know it at the time, but my future father-in-law, he's about six foot two, and he weighed 280 pounds. He's much man. And he got down in front of me and got a hold of my arms right there. I thought, dear God, I'm incarcerated now. I mean... And then Brother Burley, who was the father to the girl I was dating, she, he got behind me, and he is six foot five. And Brother Burley was, good Lord, he huge man. And he got behind me, so I'm boxed in. And then while they got me tied down, Sister Pinky James, 90 pounds, soaking wet, little skinny lady, comes over here on the side, and she gets down on her knees and right in my ear, and she's crying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I had no idea what she was talking about. I was looking for something to grab. And then Sister Fleming, Sister Fleming, bless God, she full of the Holy Ghost. She come in over on this side and she's hollering in the other, other ear, let go, let go, let go. Brother Burley's saying, live, live, live. Brother Carpenter's saying, die, die, die. Pinky James is saying, hold on. Sister Fleming's saying, let go. Brother Carpenter's saying, die. Brother Burley's saying, live, live, die. Hold on, let go. Die, live, hold on, let go. About 45 minutes later, I spoke in tongues for an hour and a half. Now, that is not I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you get the baptism like I did. I, I, I was down there, I sweated till I didn't have a dry stitch of clothes on me, and then I prayed some more, and I prayed so long that I dried out. I mean, I went through the Holy Ghost dryer, the full cycle. I lived, I died, I held on, I let go. But the beauty of it is God baptized me in the Holy Ghost. I didn't let somebody define my blessing and say, well, you've had enough. I, I remember several times in the process of me coming to the altar, somebody would say, well, you'll get it next week. You just get up now and go on home. See, if I, if I had have let them define my blessing, I would have never received the Holy Ghost. Because I could have very well said, you know, it's not for me. 
That's what a lot of people will say. But I just want to tell you this. Peter said, he, he, he put a squelch on that. He said, for the promises unto you and to your children and to your children's children and to them that are afar off and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm here to tell you from generation to generation, red, yellow, black, and white, it doesn't matter rich or poor, no matter where you're located, on the top side of the earth or the bottom side, Jesus is the Holy Ghost baptizer. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. Oh, i got to quit. Number four, anointings are transferable. Now, please, don't, don't go and tell Brother Moore, Pastor Glover is preaching false doctrine. Because there is this, 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 this thing. You remember Elisha was thrown, he, he was buried and put in a cave. And uh, after he was long dead and gone, his bones, all that was left, and they brought a soldier in who had been killed in battle and they threw him in on the bones of Elijah trying to get rid of his body. And the Bible says when he touched the bones of Elijah, he raised up. Now that's pretty, that's powerful, isn't it? But I, I just want to tell you, there are a lot of people nowadays who, who, who are just a little bit off on that. And so now you've got preachers going to the graves of other great preachers and they're, they're, they're putting their hands on the graves and they're asking God, you don't need to do that. Come on. Come on. You don't need to do that. Now, I will tell you this. You ought to take advantage of anointing while anointing is present in the earth. Tommy Carpenter's mother-in-law, Sister Hazel Runyon, was a tremendous woman of faith. If you ever knew her, I got the opportunity to pastor her in Jonesboro for, for uh, uh, 10 of our 12 years there. And the... The Lord spoke to me one day about five, six years into the pastorate and said, have Sister Runyon lay her hands on you and ask her to pray for you that your faith would be helped. Your faith would be ministered to. This woman was a great woman of faith. She had seen many, many miracles and prayed for many, many things that God had answered. And I want you to know I did that immediately. I said, Sister Runyon, the Holy Ghost just said, he wanted you to pray for me that my faith would be helped. And she laid her hands on me. I drove over to her house that day, and she laid her hands on me. And I'm telling you, from that day until now, I have seen an increase in my faith. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. I remember when they told me that we couldn't pay off the debt at our church in McAllen. We lived in the poorest county in Texas, Hidalgo County, poorest county in, uh, in Texas. Our church owed $711,000 when we started a uh, campaign for finance to pay the debt off. And, 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 and the devil's sitting on my shoulder saying, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you'll fail, this will never work. People, you'll have to leave the church, you'll embarrass yourself. And the Holy Ghost is over there telling me on the other side, go for it, boy, go for it, boy, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Glory. Now who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to let define your blessing? You hear what I'm saying? In six months, we raised $752,000 and paid that building off in the poorest county in, te in, in Texas. I'm just telling you, when God's anointing begins to move, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Don't let somebody define your blessing. 
Anointings are transferable. If you know somebody full of the Holy Ghost that loves Jesus, that's right in their doctrine, that's right in their relationship and walk with God, let them lay their hands on you and pray for you. But if they're full of the devil or full of false doctrine or false teaching, don't come in a hundred miles of them. Because that stuff, you can catch it too. Oh, I'm preaching good. Whether you like it or not. Anointings are transferable. Elijah is passing on the anointing to Elisha. Elisha positions himself to pick up the mantle through obedience, spiritual hunger and desire, and a sense of calling. I will not leave you. I want this, a double portion of what is upon your life. I ask you, if anointings are not transferable, why do we lay hands on ministers and ordain them to full gospel ministry? Why do we do that? It's kind of silly if, there's not the, if it's just symbolic. What did Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is within you by the laying on of my hands. Timothy had received an anointing from his spiritual father, Paul. Paul had prayed for the young pastor. And, and he had received an ordination and a calling and, and an anointing. And when the presbytery lays their hands upon our young ministers or upon our ordination candidates, what are they doing? They are allowing an anointing to be transferred upon that man, that woman, to do ministry. We ought to live contagiously. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, live contagiously. Be so Pentecostal, be so full of the Holy Spirit that Elisha wants what you have. See, Elisha wanted what Elijah had. Why? Because Elijah lived so powerfully in the Spirit and was so unashamed of it and unabashedly Pentecostal, if you will, that Elisha said, i got to have that. I want that. I knew in that church that I was in, I wanted what they had. They had something I didn't have. And we, every one of us tonight, ought to live so consecrated to God, so full of the Holy Spirit, that somebody around us says, I want what they have. I want what they have. Number five, the challenge of a changing generation is to lay hold of an unchanging God. The challenge of a changing generation is to lay hold of an unchanging God. Our story illustrates one generation leaving and another coming on. It shows us a consistent and constant anointing but varying and differing manifestations. Moses is a humble man, but his replacement is a fiery warrior. But both of them are anointed to bring Israel out of bondage into the promised land. Abraham is called a friend of God, intimate with God. Isaac is not a very spiritual man, and the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about his walk with God. But both of them are used to produce the Israeli nation. The most important thing is not personality and certainly not methodology. But the most important thing is to lay hold 
of the presence of God. Samson in Judges chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, takes the jawbone of a donkey and slays a thousand Philistines. And the Bible says immediately when the battle was over with, he threw it aside. He walked away from it. And you know what the Word of God says? Immediately he became thirsty. And he kept on going. And, and, and the Bible says he would have fainted. He was so wore out and so thirsty. And he stops and he realizes his dilemma. And he says to Yahweh, God, did you bring me out here, deliver me from these Philistines to let me die in this wilderness? And the Holy Ghost said, go back to where you left the jawbone and he goes back and where he threw it away it's laying there on the ground and the Bible says right in front of him God clave a hollow place in the bone and out of that bone not out of the ground out of the bone everybody say out of the bone out of the bone came a fountain of water and he drank from it and listen to this his spirit returned to him I love the way God words things. He drank from the fountain and his spirit returned to him. You know, that's where the assemblies of God are. That's where many Pentecostal churches are tonight. We have thrown what made us great away. We have laid aside what has brought us to greatness in the earth. The jawbone don't look real good. It's an old bleached out bone with teeth missing, and, and, and besides, it's the jawbone of a donkey, and, and it just doesn't look real good, and it probably was stinky and smelly uh, from, from having been out in the, the open like that, and, and, and you can imagine a decaying bone. But it was used by God to produce His will. It was used by God in an anointing to destroy the enemy. And I'm just saying to you tonight, tongues, interpretation, the nine spiritual gifts, uh, those things that a lot of people are putting in a prayer closet trying to take out of our sanctuaries because it might offend somebody or it might not look good or it might not be pleasing socially or it might be something that might not, uh, uh, that might not uh, seem to be the best thing that you can possibly foster in a church. I'm here to tell you they're putting it in the back room they're getting it out of the way of people and because of it we are becoming more and more and more dependent upon the flesh more and more dependent upon entertainment to keep people I'm telling you what we need is to go back to the jawbone pick it up lay hold of it it doesn't look real good it doesn't smell real good but it's what will bring the glory of God in our churches hallelujah and then lastly, and I'll land the plane tonight. This is a little plane, just a short runway, so it won't take me a long time. Number six, every generation needs to see God in action. Do you remember when, when Elisha is making his way from Bethel to Gilgal to Jericho to Jordan? At Jericho, there's a bunch of the sons of the prophets, and two of them are up on top of, them, of the hill. If you know where Jericho was built, it was on a high hill and looking over the, the valley below the Jordan River. And, and no doubt that they could, they could see what was going on down here at the Jordan River. And the Bible says that when Elisha came to the river, he smote the waters with the, the mantle and the waters parted. He walked over on the dry ground and Elisha, Elisha walked over there with him. 
And then all of a sudden, the whirlwind takes him up. Elisha sees it, and the mantle falls to the ground. Elisha picks it up, and he walks back over to the waters, and he says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters just like Elijah did. And they parted. And he walked over on dry ground. And then the Bible says that two of the sons of the prophet that were on top of the hill there at Jericho looked down and they saw it. And they immediately said, the spirit of Elijah is upon Elisha. You can tell when someone has the real thing. Every generation needs to see God in action. The mantle parted the Jordan River in the hands of Elisha, just as it did in the hands of Elijah. Listen to this, and I'm closing. The anointing in the right hands, a believer's hands, will declare God's power to the world. The anointing in the right hands will declare God's power to the world. Do you believe it? Pick up the mantle. Wherever you are in your spirit life, pick up the mantle. Don't let it lay there on the ground. God has dropped it in your path. God has placed it there for a reason. He wants you to pick up the mantle of God. Would you close your eyes with me tonight? Holy Spirit.